Good morning, everyone. Our uh, Old Testament reading is from Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. New Testament readings from Romans. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. 
And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone there. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the winds was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Good to be preaching from uh, Romans uh, this morning, uh, but can we just acknowledge um, that great Jonah reading where you have this beautiful prayer of Jonah followed by a fish vomiting him out onto the dry land. So maybe some of you thought, can I laugh at that point? It's okay. I think there's some humor there. Uh, with that in mind, let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to read it, to, to study, to discuss it with others, um, to pray. I'm inspired by your word, Lord, and I pray you'd help me to honor your word um, this morning as I preach. Again, give each one of us just a love and a devotion uh, towards your word um, because uh, we love you and um, it um, speaks to us of who you are. Um, it is your word. And so we thank you, Lord, and we offer these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. A few weeks ago, we had um, the um, baptism of Lucas Scholholm, and uh, if you were here, you may remember at the end of that baptism service, at the end of um, all of our baptism services, there was a final charge um, that was given to Lucas by the congregation that is part of the liturgy, where basically we um, send out, in a sense, the newly baptized with a charge to continue the mission of the church, right? In baptism, we believe, right, that is the sacrament of coming in into the life of the church, and the church is given a mission. The church is called uh, um, a mission in this world, right? The um, charge says this. It says, we receive you into the fellowship of the church, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in the royal priesthood of his people. What a great sort of capturing of what our mission is as a church, to confess the faith of Christ crucified, to proclaim his resurrection, the good news that he has defeated sin and death, that he has rose again, and to share together in the royal priesthood of his people. When we talk about the church being a royal priesthood, right, we're celebrating right, that we are called to represent God to the world as priests, but also in a sense to bring the world before God, right? Praying for the world, the, the priestly ministry that each one of us are called to. And the church, of course, the people of God have been called to mission from the very beginning, 
when God called Abraham, right? He told him, I will bless you in order that all the world may be blessed through you and through your descendants. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, go and make disciples, right? And we see them doing that, right? In the book of Acts, and we see that continuing uh, throughout the history of the church, throughout the ways that God has worked through his people. But in our Romans reading today, there's sort of a question that hangs over the reading. It's not explicitly stated, but as we read this, we can hear a question that Paul is wrestling with, which is, has the mission of God failed? I mean, that's really what he's facing into, right? As he is struggling, right, with the fact that the Messiah has come, the good news of the Messiah is going forward, and yet many of the Jewish people from whom the Messiah came, right, the people whom God has, again, called to bless all the world, have not accepted the Messiah. And so there's the question, has God's promises failed, right? Has the work failed? Now, the answer is very clearly no. We see it in verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed, Right, but that's sort of the question that haunts this passage that, that Paul is speaking to and will continue to speak to actually in, in upcoming chapters in the book of Romans. And I believe as this question is wrestled with by Paul and addressed by Paul, it speaks to our mission. I believe we see um, again in this passage components of what it means to live and to live out and to seek to fulfill the mission that God has called his church to. We, we learn from this, from Paul's wrestling and speaking to this and speaking to, again, God's mission in light of what he's experienced and in light of what he's seen. And so the first thing we can say, again, the first component I believe we see as we think about our mission and as we look at this passage is that our hearts should break for those who do not know the Lord. Right? That actually part of embracing the mission we are called to is actually carrying a sorrow. Right? That we are called to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, to proclaim Christ crucified. And yet we know in doing so that there are those who have not received this good news. There are those who have rejected it. There are those who have fallen away from this truth. And that brings with it a sorrow. And so, end of Romans 8, if you were here last week, or you're familiar with the book of Romans, ends on this high note, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate us. And yet, understandably, this beautiful truth leads Paul, right, and the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, to reflect on the fact that there are those who have not received the love of Christ, and specifically, Paul is thinking of his own people, of the Jewish people, many of whom who have not received this good news, who have not received the love um, of the Messiah. And so he moves to this place of sorrow, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So first of all, why is he so insistent? What I'm saying to you is true, right? This is true. Right? Probably part of the dynamic here is Paul realizes, as he's spoken earlier in the book of Romans about the law and talked about how the law leads to death, as he's spoken about, look, the good news has come for all people, right? Non-Jewish people, Gentiles can come fully into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, that he realizes that some may be hearing this and saying, oh, you know, Paul's just rejected his Jewish faith, right? He's rejected the Jewish people. He's so down on the law, which again, in one sense he is, because he's saying the law doesn't lead to life. In another sense, of course, he's celebrating God's giving of the law and how that ultimately points to his grace. But some can misinterpret that. Has Paul just sort of moved on? Right? And some have misinterpreted that throughout church history, right? There's some who kind of say, oh, Old Testament, we don't need that, right? We don't, we don't need that truth, right? Clearly, he's correcting this. He's saying, look, my conscience bears witness, Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Right? Because, again, 
There are many of the Jewish people who have not received the Messiah, have not put their faith in him. He's seeing, right, more fruit among non-Jewish people in his ministry, and his heart is broken. Verse 3, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That is really strong, right, for Paul to be saying that. Again, who has been in awe of the work of Christ, to say, my heart is so broken, I so long for my people to come to faith in Jesus that I myself would be accursed. I mean, that's, that's a heavy, a heavy sorrow. And then he speaks to, right? They're, they're Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. Right? God called his people, the Jewish people, right, to be his children. Right? He revealed his glory to them. He gave them the covenants. He gave them the law. Right? He directed how they were to worship him and honor him and the promises right, that came to them. Verse 5, right? to them belonged the patriarchs, so the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? who received these promises, who received right, this covenant, who were told, right, all the world will be blessed through you. And then he speaks to, and it is Christ, right, Jesus, who came according to the flesh, right, and right through sort of his, his um, line, through the, the earthly line, who is the Messiah. And so basically he's saying, look, the patriarchs received these promises that all the world would be blessed, right, through their descendants, and those promises were ultimately fulfilled, fully fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. All right, so what, what do we do with this, right, this, this revelation, again, of Paul's heart for the Jewish people? Well, again, in one sense, I think one application is, right, this is the heart we are to have for those who do not know the Lord, right, that there is sorrow, that even as we celebrate the good news of the gospel, which we rightly celebrate in the joy of knowing Jesus, there's an element of sorrow that we carry as disciples, as followers of Jesus, that there are those who don't know his love, and there are those who um, have not received him, right, and that's something that should break our hearts. I believe that's part of mission. I think that's part of even getting a vision for our mission in the world is to get in the place, yes, our heart breaks for those who have not, don't know the freedom that comes through Jesus. Right? And I'm saying that to you knowing that that's what right, all of you experience in many ways. Maybe for people that you know, are personally part of your life that you know closely, your heart breaks, that they do not know the Lord. I know for many of you, you carry people groups. <laughs> you carry countries in your heart that your heart breaks for, right? Missions um, areas that you deeply care about. This is part of our mission is to, to acknowledge that. But I also believe this speaks to us in particular, Paul's heart for the Jewish people, right? I believe speaks to all of us as Christians. As we see him saying, right, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of law, the worship, the promises, all these things that we have received from the Lord, but we have received through his work, through the Jewish people. We celebrate that, right? We honor that. And there's an element in which, again, Paul's heartbreak is our heartbreak. Lord, may the Jewish people see you as the Messiah. May they receive this. And we can be so thankful. Right, we count it a privilege, and we'll see this more in the upcoming weeks, right, that we were grafted in, that we were brought into this family. But there is an honor here, I believe, that this passage is calling us to. Right? And sadly, as many of you are aware, when you look at church history, sadly, there is an element of anti-Semitism that runs at times very strongly from the church. Right? Anti-Semitism, right, the persecution, the mistreatment of the Jewish people in any way is wrong. But how grievous, right, that at times the church has been guilty of this. And we see, right, this honor 
right, that, that Paul right, um, uh, gives uh, to his people. Even again, as he longs for them to know Jesus, he honors all the ways that God has worked. And I believe we're called to that as well. The final thing, again, I would say in regard to, to this point in the passage, right, is there's also hope here. Even as he's heartbroken and he's focusing on the anguish that he feels, and again, we'll see this in upcoming weeks, um, note that he says, to them belong. Right? I think that's significant. It's not belonged. It's not past tense. It's to them belong. God is still at work. Right? God is still at work among the Jewish people. God is still at work among the people whose your heart breaks for, those whom you're longing to see come to faith in Jesus. Those who perhaps seem so far from God right now, God is not done. And again, we'll see this beautifully in the upcoming weeks as Paul continues and speak about the Jewish people and how God has worked. He's continuing to work. And so alongside, right, the sorrow that we may feel, right, and, and, and really should feel in regard to those who do not know the Lord, there is a hope, or there's an ongoing clarity. God's still working. God's still calling. God's still redeeming. Right? And, and we hold on to that. That is part and key part of our mission right? as we move forward again in hope, not denying the sorrow, but knowing that we don't know what God will do. We don't know how he'll continue to work and we can move forward in that hope. Right? So we have the heartbreak, but then we also have the reality that in our mission, we call people to faith. Right? We present, right? this is the good news that you can receive in faith. And we see that then in the next section, as um, again, uh, Paul reflecting on this law says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. Right? So he's saying, yes, right, my heart is broken. But I'm not suggesting right, that God has not fulfilled right, his mission and is not fulfilling his mission. Right? For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So what's he talking about here? Like, what does that mean? Part of what I believe what's happening here is he's actually referring back to um, Romans 4. Um, so earlier in this letter where he talks about Abraham and he talks about how Abraham, according to the book of Genesis, believed in God and that was credited to him as righteousness, right? That's a very important verse, right? For, for um, Paul, right? Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God's promises. He believed God when God said, this is what I'm going to do. And basically that made him righteous. And that's important to Paul because he's saying that's still true, right? As we believe in the Lord, that Jesus has come to save us, as we receive that salvation, we're made righteous. We're brought into right relationship with God, to right standing with God. And he says, look, anyone who continues what Abraham began, right, believing in God and receiving that righteousness, they are children of Abraham. Very controversial thing for Paul to say. And again, he's not denying the importance of the Jewish people. He's not denying of that reality but he's saying, actually, to be a child of Abraham, right, isn't so much about, you know, the lineage, although that's important. It's about faith. If you're a person of faith, you're brought into the people of God. You're one of his children. You're a fulfillment of that promise that was made to Abraham. And I believe that's what he's coming back to. He's basically saying, yes, my heart breaks for the people of Israel. I have not received Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, it's always been about faith. It's, you know, it's ultimately about receiving in faith. As one um, uh, commentator said, it's grace, not race, right? Again, the people were very important. But again, throughout the Old Testament, we see it's about trusting in the Lord. It's about believing and receiving those promises. And so he's saying that's, that's still the case. And so there's this comparison, um, basically, between Isaac and Ishmael. Doesn't mention Ishmael, but clearly that's what he's speaking of. Where he's saying, look, Abraham had a child, Ishmael, who was not the child of promise. 
right? And to a sense to be the child of promise, to be sort of like Isaac, is to receive those promises and to believe in those promises. Right? Now, what does that, again, mean for us, right? I mean, again, it means, right, we present faith, right? And in particular, I'm struck that what he's addressing here, right, is there is a, a presumption often that Paul dealt with in, in his mission. We certainly see this in the Gospels with Jesus. There's a presumption at times among the Jewish people, look, it, it doesn't matter what I believe, right, because I've inherited this, right? This is part of my family. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Therefore, I belong to God no matter what. And again, Jesus often was very controversial in basically calling people to faith, even the religious leaders, and saying, look, it's not enough that, you know, you're part of this race. It's about belief. It's about trusting in the Lord. It's about that relationship of faith and belief. And so he's, again, kind of coming against what are the presumptions, right, that people have that needed to be corrected. As we think about our mission, about proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, one question, again, that we can ask is, what are the presumptions we run into? As we seek, again, to share the good news, this is a gift that you can receive in faith. What are actually the presumptions people hold? Right, again, I think for many still today is religion is about what you do. Right, so you're a Christian, great. That means you're trying as hard as you can to be a good person. Right? You're trying to be moral. Right? And you know, I think people's response at times is, you know, I've figured out how to be a good person. Right? You know, thanks for offering me your religion, but I actually, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I think I'm in the top 50% as I look around. Right? I can at least find half the people that are worse than I am. Right? I think this is the way lots of folks think. And so to be aware of that presumption, to be aware, actually, that's not what we're saying, be better. Right? We're actually saying, recognize your need. Again, for others, the presumption actually may be, I am doing great. I don't have a need. Right? For others, it may be, hey, I belong to this political party. I belong to this family. I belong to this country. I'm a Christian, right? It's just part of it. Now, again, I'm not suggesting be obnoxious. Be, maybe I'm being obnoxious. I hope not. But, you know, you know be confrontational, argue with people. That's, in general, not a helpful um, a mode of sharing our faith. But I do think as we're aware of, these are the presumptions we're coming against, right? This is sort of the reality people carry. We remember again and again, oh, yeah, what is our message? Our message actually is receive, believe. There is a beautiful gift. There is new life in Christ, but it is to be received, to hold up that faith, to actually share the good news from people who is all about performance. It's all about what they do. It's all about what they've earned, right? Who are so caught up in that, right? How freeing to be able to say, actually, right, there is a free gift for you to receive um, that is, will never be separated from you, um, uh, that will always uh, be yours um, through the Lord. And so it's about faith. But finally, right, in regard to what Paul's saying here regarding the mission is trust in the sovereignty of God. And so again, I believe with the reference to Abraham, he is encouraging, right, and reminding them and reminding us, right, we receive this in faith. We receive this reality, um, the gift of God through faith, but also, there's a very strong emphasis here on God will fulfill his mission ultimately in his way. He is in charge of this mission. And so you have, again, Isaac and Ishmael um, referenced, but then you also have Jacob and Esau. So Isaac, right, the child of the promise, has twins, um, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau is actually older, uh, which we may say they're twins. Why does that matter? It matters, all right? At that time, it matters who is older. And yet we read this, right? Though when they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, right? Rebecca was told, 
the older will serve the younger. All right, so what's going on there? So Paul is saying, look, God right, wants us to see right, that ultimately it's about his work. Right? It's not about our works, about what he has done. It's about his initiative towards us. And in order to show that, right, he chose basically Jacob, the younger, to be the one through whom the promises would continue to be fulfilled, the one um, through whom, again, the, you know, the promises to Abraham would continue through his family line over Esau, the older. And again, in that time, right, it was a big deal to be the oldest, right? There were certain privileges, there were certain honors that the um, oldest um, were given. For those of us who aren't oldest children, we're like, hooray, I'm glad it's not like that anymore, but it, it was then. And so for God to say, actually, the older Esau will serve the younger, the younger will be the one that re receives the greater honor, was like controversial. It's like, no, God, you're not supposed to do that. Especially, you're not supposed to do it before they're even born. Like, why would you do that, Lord? And again, Paul's point is, God's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. This is the way he chose to fulfill his mission. All right, so it's tempting to just say, well, why not just end with verse 12? Like, can we keep verse 13 out of there? But I thought, okay, it's the end of the paragraph. Some of you are going to read the Bible and be like, wait a second, he took out 13. All right, but it's kind of like, we probably all felt like, man, last week was like nothing will separate us from the love of God. And this week, actually, we end on God basically saying he hates someone. Okay, it's like, what? How? What's going on there? That's a quote from the book of Malachi, right? From the, the prophets, uh, Malachi. The prophets often use striking language, um, and certainly that's what's happening here. The prophet there, actually, Malachi is speaking of um, Jacob more as the nation of Israel, right? Which was the name Jacob was given later, Israel. Um, and Esau sort of representing the nation of Edom, and they were in conflict. And basically, the Lord is speaking through Malachi, um, saying, you know, I will care for you, right? I will protect you from the attacks of Edom. Right? But Paul's referencing it to those two specific, right? To the two specific children. All right? And considering this language of hate, and let me read another hard passage, verse um, uh, from the scriptures. It's always helpful to read hard verses and wrestle with them. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. A lesser quoted verse of Jesus. Right? What's Jesus mean there? Well, does he mean we are to treat our family with contempt, right? Is he saying husbands should not love wives, wives shouldn't love husbands? Right? Of course not. Right? We know that, right? In other places, Jesus clearly honors, you know, mothers or children, you know, honor your mother and father. Right? What he's saying there is your commitment to me, your allegiance to me as my disciple should be such that all other allegiances, even your closest family allegiances, basically pale in comparison. That you can, in a sense, almost view those as hate compared to how committed you are to me. He's talking about a choice, right? Again, an allegiance. And I think there's a similar dynamic happening here, right? And in Paul's quotation of Malachi, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, God chose Jacob. God in a sense, gave his allegiance, his work through Jacob. Now, maybe that helps a little bit with the language and how you know, this language of hate is used, but it's still challenging, isn't it? And we should be challenged, right? Because we're basically being told, again, God is loving, he is merciful, but he will do things his way. And there will be times, right, where we will look at that and say, God, why are you doing it that way? God, that doesn't make any sense to me. Actually, later in Romans 9, which is full of challenging um, verses, uh, but Paul says, he says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you're the created, 
Who are you to say to the creator, you must do things this way? Right now, again, he's not denying we wrestled with God. I mean, Jacob literally wrestled with God, right? We ask questions, right? We are in relationship with the Lord. We see in the, the Psalms, the crying out to the Lord. But he's making it very clear. At the end of the day, don't forget that he is in charge. He is working his mission out. And at times you may look at it and you may say, God, this doesn't make any sense. Right? God, why would you work in this way? And yes, right, there's the reality of sin. There's the reality of spiritual warfare. All those things play into as we seek to fulfill a mission God has given us. But again, at times we may just say, God, you could have done this so much differently, right? God, you could have acted in this way. And that's where we're just called to submit and say, you're in charge, right? You're in charge. Again, you've called me to be part of your mission, but it's your mission. I believe that's what he's bringing home there. And again, we have to recognize the challenge in that. But the fact is, right, as we embrace God's sovereignty, it's why we can believe Romans 8.28, which I talked about just a couple weeks ago, right, that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, because God is sovereign and is working out. Even again, as we embrace the mystery of that, right, Paul is not denying the importance of faith. If you know the story of Jacob and Esau, you know Jacob eventually did turn to the Lord in faith, and Esau rejected his birthright. He rejected the Lord. But again, the emphasis here is before that even happened, God had decided on what would happen. He had, he had a plan. So what does this mean sort of practically? Let me just kind of in closing give an example, right? Um, uh, in just a few weeks, um, we're going to uh, have a movie night in the park. This is something we've done for a number of months. Valley's Park's about an, uh, an hour, a mile from here. Um, it's close by, um, uh, surrounded by uh, apartments and connected to a neighborhood. It's a great place. Uh, it's a neat park, and we've just found a great place to meet um, different folks um, uh, in that um, uh, park. We've done uh, Easter egg hunts there as well. Right? And our goal right, in, in doing that event is one, just to provide a fun thing to do and to, to be together, but also we really hope to bless that community and to make connections with people, to look for opportunities to share about faith, right? to invite them into a community of faith. Right? That's, again, our hope. Right? We haven't done a message or a worship service. We may do things like that in the future, but basically an event to demonstrate and to share about the love of Christ. And we've had many interesting conversations. I have, Molly's had a lot, of, maybe some of you have, with people, right? Wanting to know more about the church, wanting to know more about what we believe. We've had times of praying with people. But to this point, right, we yet have someone come into the life of the church or, uh, you know, express a conversion at one of those events and through those events. Now, again, we can say maybe we should keep thinking of different types of events. Great. You know, maybe we should continue to think of resources here at the church to connect people. Yes. But if our conclusion is, hey, we're not seeing all the fruit we want to, let's just give up on reaching out to our community. Let's give up to being present outside these walls. Let's just focus you know, on the interior life. We'd be missing out on there is a mission that we're called to. Again, there may be many more ways God is wanting us to fulfill that mission, but we can't give up on the mission. God's fulfilling his mission however he wants to, right? And we do our part. We continue to move out. We continue to look for opportunities. We continue to pray that God would give us connections right and so you know join us in the moving down the park pray that god would give you a great conversation pray that someone would say i want to find a church and would actually come right that's the piece we've missed but whatever we do right we can trust god's working god's going to honor our efforts in ways that maybe we can see maybe ways that we just won't be able to see just as i end i want to read again that charge from the baptism liturgy that we would receive that Confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share in the royal priesthood of all of his people. 
Lord, we thank you that you have given us a mission. Lord, each one of us, there's a call that you've placed on us, and you've put a call on us as your church and on your people. Lord, we just pray that our hearts would break for the things that break your heart. That we actually, in times of sorrow, of loss, would actually know you in an even deeper way. And I pray, Lord, that through that, we would even be no greater power in fulfilling your mission to the world. Use us, Lord, we pray. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.